even though this is a presidential election, there are many more candidates on the ballot besides the president and besides Congress, too. So go to Ballot Ready for a nonpartisan guide to your entire ballot. And you know I'm all about being informed, and you know I'm all about being educated. So from there, you can compare candidates based on their stances on issues, biography, or endorsements. And then you can save your choices to use when you vote by mail or in the voting booth. You can even request your absentee ballot or make a plan to vote early or on Election Day. This election matters, and I cannot stress that enough. Make sure you have a plan to vote and to vote informed. And this year, with changes to polling places and voting by mail laws as a result of COVID, it's even more important to have a plan to vote. And remember, local elected officials, they affect our lives every day. They decide who to prosecute. Ding, ding, ding. Important. They monitor the quality of our drinking water. Ding, ding, ding. Important. And also important, they choose the leadership of our schools. So go to BallotReady.org and enter your address to make a plan to vote and vote informed. All right, y'all. Thank you. We're about to hop into this episode, so get ready. Hey, Balance Fam. Today, we're joined by Jacqueline, who works at the NAACP. I just want to take a moment to thank her for joining us and just taking time out of her busy schedule to chat with me today. So just thank you so much, Jacqueline. It's a pleasure. Thank you. Awesome. So we've all heard about the NAACP, but I don't think a lot of us truly know what this historic organization does. Could you just tell us a little bit more about the NAACP's work in different areas? Sure. The NAACP works in, in terms of kind of content areas. It focuses on civic engagement, education, health, criminal justice, uh, economic issues, as well as environmental and climate justice. Also, youth leadership and organizing as well. Thank you. And, mm-hmm, sure. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So just to be completely honest, some of the youth and people my age are disillusioned with large organizations. They want to know where the money is going and what these organizations are doing for us. So for the audience, can you please highlight three major acts or contributions of the NAACP within the last two years? Sure. Uh, there's many both at the at the federal, state, and local level with a kind of always an emphasis on civil rights advocacy, so policy change or regulatory changes. And so one example would be in Delaware, there is an issue, you know how schools are financed by property values. And so in Delaware, there was a fight because they were developing the formula for how schools were financed based on property values that were decades old. And that was disproportionately um, affecting communities of color, low-income communities, and um, resulting in the under-resourcing of those schools. So that's one victory in terms of being able to actually you know, push, push that issue and then actually change that practice. So now that they, now they've modernized the calculation that they use to, to finance schools, so it's a lot more equitable now. Another example is the, there was a, a lawsuit that the NAACP did against the current administration, particular, specifically around DACA and, 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 uh, and the recension of DACA. And the Supreme Court ruled in favor of the NAACP in terms of reinstating DACA, which was huge, as you can imagine. Um, so another one is with regard to the census, the NAACP Prince George's County uh, branch and some other plaintiffs that they worked with won an in uh, uh, appeals court ruling, which reinstated, they did a federal suit challenge in the federal government's plans for conducting the 2020 census. There was a concern about the way that they are, are counting in 2020 and particularly making sure that the census properly counts all people including historically undercounted communities of color um, in terms of uh, that could be concerned about the outcome being that they'll be missed in the um, in the current plans and so they the uh, district court had 
somehow dismissed the suit and now it's been um, reinstated and so they were able to have a victory there. So that of course is important because we know that from the census so much else flows in terms of um, districting, in terms of the, how the political lines are drawn, um, it, it addresses issues around voter disenfranchisement and, and, and which would happen if we don't if we undercount and so forth and then also even everything from how various uh, public resources are financed all of that relies on data from the census so for us that was a critical victory thank you absolutely thank you sure. now let's talk about climate change so for the audience could you just briefly break down what that means mm. Yes, uh, so the so climate change is basically about how the due to the amount of uh, greenhouse gas emissions and greenhouse gases include methane, carbon dioxide is the number one um, greenhouse gas and others. The amount of 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 these greenhouse gases that have been emitted into the atmosphere over the years has resulted in uh, basically kind of an overall warming of the Earth's atmosphere. And so that's why climate change was originally called global warming. But the reason that they started to call it climate change instead of global warming is because it gave people a, it gave people a false, the term global warming gave people a false sense that that it meant that uh, that the impacts would just be in terms of this uh, universal warming effect when we know that the impacts are are beyond like the, the warming effect leads to other things like some places will be more cold than they would be normal it is a really kind of affects all these different um, interconnected systems that you know our, our ecosystem is kind of divinely designed so we have uh, so once you throw one thing off even if it's a couple of degrees of, uh, of temperature over time, it actually just kind of um, messes up everything. <laughs> so we have, now we have the increase in the extreme weather events as a result. We have more drought, we have the drying of the earth, which is resulting in a lot of the forest fires that we're seeing out west and, and also resulting in shifts in agricultural yields because again, agriculture is depend depending on kind of this formula of how the earth works. <laughs> and if we're um, uh, changing the temperature of the overall earth, then it, it actually impacts its ability to replenish and, um, and feed us as, as, as it has um, historically. So that's in a nutshell what climate change is. And so the, and the, I get the other big impact is the rising of the seas. And so this is where we see, even as we talk about the increase in extreme weather events and so forth, that means that something like a hurricane, it becomes exacerbated by what they call storm surge. When the, so when the seas are higher, you know, and closer to, to the, the uh, land um, in terms of um, yeah, in terms of elevation, then we see where if a storm happens, then that's more water inundating the land, both in terms of storms, but also just in, in, in general, if, if the seas are rising, it starts to overtake lands that are low-lying lands. And that's why we see what happened out in um, in, Louis, in southern Louisiana with the Biloxi, Chittimaca, Choctaw group and, and Ile de Jean Charles in terms of their land being so overtaken by both the combination of sea level rise and the fact that the land is sinking, which is a long story, uh, then they, um, they're actually now permanently displaced because their land is no longer inhabitable. And there's other places that are in similar situations like the Maldives and so forth. So yeah, that's in a nutshell. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, so we often talk about climate change as something that'll happen in the future, like 2045 or 2050. And you've already touched on this a little bit. But could you just tell the audience five ways in which climate change is occurring and impacting our world at this very moment? Mm, yeah, absolutely. So yeah, so definitely the sea level rise, and so places, uh, so places like Ile de Jean Charles, like I said, the Maldives, um, uh, the Bahamas is only about two feet above sea level rise, so they are soon going to start to experience impacts. Uh, Kivalina in Alaska is already. Um, experiencing impacts and 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 uh, the community is having to think about it's largely Inuit community there is having to 
to, to plan for what they call planned retreat. They have to actually move as a result. As we've already seen with the increase in the extreme weather events, well, first of all, we're seeing every year progressively, they keep saying, this year is the hottest year on record. And then the next year, it's this year is the hottest year on record. And so we keep progressively having these hottest years on record as the earth just warms in general. Um, and so we're also seeing um, more, we're, we're seeing more days above 90 degrees, which, um, which, you know, which we, uh, are, whether, whether it's heat waves that are impacting people, particularly if people don't necessarily have the right ventilation or don't have air conditionings and so forth, then that uh, extreme heat is impacting particularly people with, um, with um, health condition, special health conditions. Um, the shifts in agricultural yields, we're seeing my work around environmental climate justice actually started um, internationally. And I was working in places like Zimbabwe and South Africa, where people are going, used to walk maybe a couple of kilometers or, you know, you know, a, a little bit over a mile to get to uh, the water source that they had to, where they had to go and get water. And now people are having to walk much further to get water, um, which is often, often more, more than often the women and girls who have to do that. So we have girls who used to go to school because they would go get up early in the morning, go get the water, which was their duty. And then they would go to school afterwards. But now girls are having to walk so far to get water that they don't even have time to go to school. So it's take it, it's kind of uh, messing with the fabric of our, of the, of the societies where girls aren't being educated and aren't having the, the opportunities that they would normally have because just uh, fetching water is, um, is, is becoming their existence so much of their, taking up so much of their time. So the, the shift, the, the, the water scarcity is already taking place there. And there are maps that show that, you know, we're, it's just a matter of time for us, particularly in the Western United States, where we'll start to see that also that type of water scarcity, and we'll need to start thinking about how do we provide um, water as a resource for folks. Um, we talked about the uh, the natural disasters. So the 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 increase in the frequency and severity of these extreme weather events. Again, we keep hearing these first. We have the this year we had the earliest named storm in the in the um, storm season. Then this year we had the first storm that um, category four storm that hit the United States with that that strong winds for the, for over a hundred years. And so we're just starting to see more extremes in terms of that. And I already talked about the the wildfires that are resulting from like the extreme drying of the brush because of the so on one hand in some places we're getting more um, inundation of precipitation and and in other places are having less. And this is why you know, this whole kind of climate change is, a, is the term that we use because there's so many different changes and they're different across, across different geographies. So we're seeing these, this proliferation of wildfires in California and out West frequently and more extreme as a result of climate change. And then we're also seeing, speaking of precipitation, these floods that are, you know, normally they used to call them 100-year floods, I meaning they only happen every 100 years or so, or 50-year floods that are now happening regularly. And so they're no longer able to call them those because they're just normal. Um, there, uh, there was a quote from a NOAA official that said, today's flood is going to be equal to tomorrow's high tide. It's just going to become the norm in certain places where so they're just flooding all the time. So those are, I hope, I think five that came out of there. Absolutely. Thank you. Sure. Let's just get even more specific. So this is the National Association of the Advancement of Colored People. So what are four environmental issues that we see directly impacting and harming communities of color specifically? Mm. So the shifts in agricultural yields that we talked about already, uh, communities of color are more likely to not have access to healthy and nutritious foods. They, they um, whether it, as a result of historic redlining that separated communities, black communities in particular from resources, now we have communities where they're more likely to have a corner store, 
and not have a grocery store, much less a farmer's market within commuting diff distance or, you know, within walking distance or even within a couple miles for, for people who live there. There's the term food desert has been used in the past, but those communities, our communities are saying, we don't really like the term food desert because desert implies something that happens naturally. And we know that with, with historic and modern day redlining and segregation that it's very much by intent. So the shifts in agricultural yields that are going to affect our food supply are going to exacerbate the already existing um, food security issues for, for our communities. So that's one impact that disproportionately affects the civil rights of communities of color. Another impact is when we talk about these extreme weather events, um, because of uh, a myriad um, uh, inequities that leave communities more vulnerable, including everything from how decisions are made as it relates to infrastructure. So the levees after, after Hurricane, seven years after Hurricane Katrina, when the levees were breached in Louisiana, flooding out Plaquemines Parish, uh, Senator Mary Landrieu asked the Army Corps of Engineers, seven years after Hurricane Katrina, I thought you'd done all this levee fortification. Why wasn't this levee fortified? And they said, well, we use a formula to decide which levees are fortified first. And um, it applies points to each levee based on what the economic impact would be if that levee was breached. And so literally by design, by formula, that means that those communities that... Um, that are most vulnerable because the property values are lower. It usually equates to lower, lower income often, and it also equates to people of color often. Just by design, they're the last ones to be protected. Um, Dr. Robert Bullard, who's considered the father of environmental justice, um, wrote, uh, wrote a book that, that where the tagline was the wrong complexion for protection. And we're finding that time and time again in these kind of scenarios. And similarly, um, whether it's the levy reinforcement or we find other times when flooding is actively happening and they will do releases or they will, they will route the water from a white affluent community into the community that is low income. Because again, they're doing that according to you know, political power and political influence or and or they're doing it according to property value. So where is it going to cost us the, the least to rebuild or the least to, and where it's going to be these communities that can afford it, afford it the least as well. So these are the kind of, um, of, of, of uh, structural inequities that we're finding. And now on top of it all with, with disasters, so that's one thing just in terms of those types of um, infrastructure dif uh, differentials, but also when we talk about uh, whether it's housing stock, again, because of the history of redlining um, and economic injustice, that means it's so too often our homes have the type of housing stock that's more vulnerable to disasters and disaster impacts. So there's a higher uh, likelihood of not of, at minimum loss of property, but of course, at, at worst loss of life as a result of, of our very race. Also mobility was a big issue in Hurricane Katrina and in other disasters since then or before, and before then in terms of the uh, ability to actually be able to evacuate. Um, I was watching the news the other day. So we see this kind of time and time again with 800, 1800 people dying Hurricane Katrina, a lot of the folks just couldn't get out. Um, and just the other day I was watching the news and um, there was this person who was being interviewed in Louisiana and they said, we tried to evacuate, but they wouldn't let us on the bus because my mother is co has COVID-19. And so again, we've seen all the statistics. We're more likely to have COVID-19 because of all these other pre-existing um, um, social inequities and, and otherwise. And that actually you know, left this family abandoned when this deadly um, uh, hurricane was coming on. And so then we, we see the compounding of inequities that leave people at, at greater risk. So those are just a few examples. There are sadly many more. Right, so I mean, just outside of agriculture and outside of disasters, 
what are other instances of environmental issues or environmental racism that we see directly harming, you know, the black community, the indigenous community, the Latin community? Yeah, so definitely the uh, dis the uh, disproportionate exposure to toxic facilities, for example, uh, just by race alone, an African-American family uh, making $50,000 a year is more likely to live next to a toxic facility than a white American family making $15,000 a year, according to the studies by, by people like Dr. Bullard and Dr. Moha and Dr. Pastor um, and others. We find, we know that uh, the 71% the, uh, of African-Americans live in counties in violation of air pollution standards. We know that Latino Americans as well as, or Latinx Americans as well as, um, as well as indigenous Americans are also, or yeah, indigenous people, indigenous nations are also more likely to be exposed to whether it is coal-fired power plants, oil and gas um, facilities, or it is um, uh, nuclear facilities. We uh, we saw where there's a community out in uh, Navajo Nation out in um, the Four Corners region where they had four coal-fired power plants within a 35, 30 mile radius of the Navajo Nation, but yet 70% um, of the people on those lands didn't have electricity. So the electricity from those four coal-fired power plants was going to, um, to power Phoenix, Las Vegas, and Los Angeles, while the people that were choking down the fumes from those plants that you know had high rates of asthma, COPD, and, and so forth, they didn't even have access to that precious resource. We also know that uh, communities of color are more likely to have contaminated water, to have more likely to have contaminated soil that their kids are playing in. Um, more likely to be exposed to indoor air pollution. We also know that, but go, going back also to indigenous uh, nations, that for example, along the oil and gas, uh, the um, pipelines, as well as the what they call man camps, which are the places where these um, oil and gas operations where people will move away, men will move away from their families or they might be single men or whatever, but men congregating to work those rigs or work those operations. It, around those places, there's an extreme spike in missing and murdered indigenous women, um, and a high, high degrees of sexual assault along those pipelines and in those man camps and so forth. It's a Sorry, like if you Google, you can find it, but otherwise it's just this hidden horror that people don't really talk about, but that's known and just kind of almost, uh, I wouldn't say accepted, but the fact that it's, that it's allowed to continue, it makes it you know, feel like by default it's being accepted because it's so egregious and yet it just continues on. So those are just a few examples. Um, yes. <laughs> if you want more, I can certainly go on. Gotcha. Thank you. Sure. So just thinking overall as a whole, thinking of all the issues that we face as a people, and this is a two-part question, what is the NAACP doing to combat these issues and help our community overall? And then also, are there any specific partnerships and organizations that the NAACP is working with that the general public may not know about to just help the community? Yeah. Thank you. So there are so many um, groups that uh, that are doing this work in such awesome ways that I really want to lift up and 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 uh, and I can't even name them all really. But we are part of a group called the Climate Justice Alliance that 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 consists of all of these great groups that are doing this work. Whether it's Native Native Renewables, UpRose, uh, Kentuckians for the Commonwealth, Southwest Workers Union, Eastern Michigan Environmental Action Coalition, all these different groups. There's just really just so many doing fabulous work. We're also part of Advancing Equity and Opportunity, which is groups that are in the Southeast that are doing this work, including pa Partnership for Southern Equity and um, and so many more. So I, uh, so those are the, some of the great groups that are doing the work. We also partner with the Indigenous Environmental Network and with Little Village Environmental Justice Organization, El Vejo, and on the south side of Chicago, 
to, to do our, our report called Cold-Blooded, Putting Profits Before People, really looking at these coal-fired power plants across the country. So, um, so I just wanted to lift up the partners first and then getting to what we're doing. We, have, we do a combination of, uh, first of all, overarching where we have to, at the same time as we're fighting the bad, doing the anti-toxics work, trying to shut down these facilities, trying to put various better policies in place around, um, around regulating these toxic facilities and so forth, we're also building the new. And so we have that combination of stopping the bad, building the new. And we do all of that through developing, um, doing research and developing reports and developing um, various toolkits on how to take action. We do a lot of uh, visioning with our communities and then according to their vision, then doing strategy development and helping people to organize, to build power, to win in these various cases. We, um, so in addition to the research, the, the uh, policy analysis, the toolkits and the reports, we are also ourselves, so our, our, our primary focus is on working with our branches and chapters at the state and local level to build their capacity to be able to, to, to engage around fighting the bad policies and practices and advancing the good policies and practices and at the municipal, um, county, and state levels. And then we also engage directly on federal policies, regulations, and administrative practices um, at, the, at the national level. And we also engage our, our state and local folks in engaging at the national level as, as well to help to, to strengthen that because, we're, because we always want everything to start with our, our um, our frontline leadership. And so we do work around everything. So specifically, we do work around everything from, you know, like I said, shutting down coal-fired power plants, stopping the building of pipelines, um, shutting down um, oil and gas uh, facilities. And then, but then also on the other side, we are building the new. So we have our solar equity initiative where we are working on making sure that our, our communities have access to to getting solar installations. We did, we work with groups like Grid Alternatives and Sunrun and the Solar Energy, uh, a Solar Energy Industry Association um, to, to install solar on low-income homes so that they don't have an electricity bill and they can actually own their own energy infrastructure so that they're not represented in reports that we put out like lights out in the cold reform utility shutoff policies as if human rights matter. So while we're pushing back on the on shutting off, we're also helping communities to have self-determination and ownership so that they're not even subject to having their shut off, those shutouts happen to them. So with that, we're doing installations on low-income housing, on community centers, on churches, and so forth. We're also working with those same groups to get people trained to have jobs in the energy sector, um, the clean energy sector, the new energy economy. Um, as well as working with people on starting um, small businesses in that sector as well. And with all of that, making sure that there's the policies to support this all. So while we try to make the shift to clean energy to take pollution out of our communities and create jobs in our communities, we also want to have make sure we have a policy landscape to institutionalize um, these opportunities and this shift to a new energy economy. We also, similarly, we work on other systems like our, like the food systems. We work on advancing policies that, that support local food um, growing production and distribution. And at the same time, um, we are working with communities to start local food projects. And then we, again, make sure that the policy policy landscape is there at the, at the local state and federal level to support uh, local food production, which is both making make, filling the gap around food insecurity, but also taking polluting trucks and ships and so forth off, out of shipping channels and off the roads so that we don't have those contributions to the greenhouse gas emissions that drive climate change. And so we don't have those contributions to the environmental health challenges that our communities face because we are disproportionately um, being exposed to near roadway air pollution, as well as the pollution from commercial animal feeding operations, which are called CAFOs. So with system by system, we're working to, to, to push back on the bad in terms of policies, push forward on the good in terms of policies, 
push back on the bad in terms of practices, and then I'll push forward on the good in terms of practices. So our food systems, our energy systems, our water systems, our uh, waste systems, um, as well as look as housing and um, in terms of making sure that we have housing that, that we're, we're, we have a land justice project where we're working on addressing issues around black land loss because in the context of the fact that the climate is changing and you know in hopefully slower as we advance our efforts but it but we don't want to kind of cover our eyes and, and hope for the you know as we try to work towards the best we don't want to acknowledge what's already we want we want to acknowledge what's already happening and making sure our communities are prepared for that so and with housing security is a big part of climate resilience, whether it's the disasters that are happening. If you own your own land and your own housing, then you have a better opportunity to be able to access everything from FEMA funding to other types of funding to, to, to fortify your roof um, or, or otherwise. So we so land justice is a critical part of that. And I'll just wrap by saying, we also work on these um, disaster equity in terms of both policies and helping people to be prepared and able to play a role in emergency management. And we're, we just launched a sea level rise certification program as well, where we're working with NOAA the Sea Grant Program, Climate Central, FEMA, the American Society of Flood, Plan Flood Plain Management, and so forth, because um, to help communities to, to be able to prepare for um, uh, flooding and sea level rise, as well as to be able to, to change policies so that they're more equitable, like how levees are reinforced, like how the water releases happen, like how resettlement funds happen when communities have to have planned retreat because their land is being overtaken by by sea level rise. So this is a smattering of examples. There are there are more, but because unfortunately the needs are so great. But um yeah, that just gives you a bit of a sense. Gotcha. Thank you. And sure. just stepping outside the environmental realm again, I just want to ask, are there specific activist organizations that the NAACP works with? Oh, uh, outside of the environmental realm? Um, yeah, there are. Um, everything from, there's uh, the, the conversations that have been happening with Movement for Black Lives and, and coordination that's happened there. In Michigan, the Movement for Black Lives uh, worked arm in arm with the Michigan NAACP to push for a declaration of racism as a public health pandemic, as an example. Um, our criminal justice department is working with a, with a, a lot of the um, activist groups around, um, around, uh, around everything from pr prison abolition to the restructuring of the police departments to where we're actually working together with a, a great uh, activist group around, it's called the Prison Toxicology Project that really talks about the toxic prisons um, that, that happen. So the criminal justice, that's a criminal justice partnership. Um, uh, Black Votes Matter works with the Civic Engagement Department as well as the Democracy Initiative and other activist groups there. I'm just kind of going around in my mind at the different, um, uh, sectors, Health Gap, uh, working on HIV and AIDS is an activist group that came out of um, ACT UP. Um, let's see, education. Yeah, so those are just a few, a handful of examples, but yeah. Right, and just following up on something that you mentioned. So you mentioned prison restructuring. What does that look like? So, and again, this is all you know in the criminal justice department. So, mm -hmm. uh, don't quote me, but uh, but they are there's certainly everything from one thing we are actually working intersectionally on. There's a group called um, called Architects for Social Responsibility, and interestingly enough, they really stepped up and recognized that that they were complicit in the inhumane conditions of prisons because they were that these architects had to design these solitary confinement quarters that are absolutely inhumane and so now these architects for social responsibilities have taken on prison abolition as one of their 
their pillars and the environmental climate justice program has a centering equity in the sustainable building sector initiative where we are working on all all places where people are housed or live work play and unfortunately for far too many of our folks that includes prisons so we're working with our with the criminal justice department as well as groups like architects for social responsibility around um around this agenda around um, um, moving from incarcerating persons to actually truly re true rehabilitation and and um and actually avoidance of people having to be incarcerated in the first place by uh, working on dismantling the prison, prison industrial complex, which incentivizes um, the, the incarceration of people. So that's another, so working on that kind of supply chain as it relates to the prison industrial complex, working on having community conditions, um, whether it's community safety programs or making sure that everyone has access to a job so people aren't driven to desperate acts. Um, making communities, you know, advancing healing justice so people don't end up uh, dealing with trauma by, um, by committing crimes. So all of those different ways that we're trying to, uh, again, to, to reduce the, reduce, reduce the en engagement with the criminal justice system so people don't end up incarcerated while also working on um, dis, you know, removing the incentive to incarcerate people that, and, and that's embedded in the prison industrial complex and working on these issues of who is, com you know, what are all the groups that are complicit in how, how prisons come together and the inhumanity of prisons. So those are just an example of some of the interventions. Absolutely, thank you. Sure. So before we go, we have to discuss this upcoming election. So climate change, the health of the environment, and our health in general is at stake. We know one side will do absolutely nothing to help these issues, and we also know the other side isn't perfect by any means, but there's at least a chance. For those who are on the fence about voting, what would you like to say to them? I would like to say that, uh, that we do know what we've got now in terms of um, in terms of a situation where we have the inflaming of everything from uh, from conspiracy theories about pedophilia and devil worshiping to locking up kids in cages um, on the, and when the U.S. is 4% of the population and 25% of the emissions that drive climate change, and we've got climate force migration as one of the many reasons, I mean, one of the main reasons that people are immigrating. Um, and so we have to really take responsibility and recognize we are a land of plenty that and when people are coming in desperate for a safe harbor, that's how this, uh, this country um, uh, was supposed to have come about, although we also know the history of, 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 um, of the negative practices. But at this point, uh, where we are, we have to, 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 uh, to advance principles around sanctuary and, and um, hospitality um, and refuge. And so, um, so what we know, what we've got now in terms of the being absolutely counter to any of those types of principles. So we also know that there is no accountability to our communities and to any kind of progressive agenda whatsoever. And even as I would say that there is a ways to go in terms of even um, in terms of uh, the Democratic Party and being accountable to, to true um, liberation ideals, policies, and practices, there, is, there are at least uh, measures of accountability there that do not exist at all with the current administration. If anything, it's literally the opposite. And so I would just say that every, we have to, um, to, to, to get out there and have and 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 uh, and vote and make sure that everybody we know votes because we can't I mean we see that the we're imploding in some ways with these these racial incidents even increasing and being stoked by this administration we have a denial of climate change while we have these huge storms coming in the uh, 
the wildfires burning. We can't we can't afford another four years of this. Um, we 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 have this COVID nineteen which is raging without unchecked because of denial, just as we have the climate denial. We can't afford four years of this in our in our communities as frontline communities are begging for for a change um, in this um, in in the in the governance. And then we we once folks are in office with uh with at least some some claim of accountability to our communities then we have to hold their feet to the fire but let's get them in there so that we can hold hold their our feet to the hold their feet to the fire is what i would say absolutely thank you and just a wrap everybody i just want to thank you jacqueline for appearing on the show today it's truly been a pleasure sure thank you <laughs> absolutely all right y'all stay tuned as it's much more in store after this quick break I just want to take this moment to dedicate this episode to Chadwick Boseman, a.k.a. the wonderful actor who played Jackie Robinson, the wonderful actor who played Thurgood Marshall, the wonderful actor who played James Brown, the wonderful actor who played T'Challa and gave us the glory that was Black Panther and so much more. I want to dedicate this episode to him. I want to thank him. I want to thank him for the joy that he brought so many. I want to thank him for his dedication to our culture, to our community. I want to thank him for his dedication to himself. I want to thank him for inspiring so many black boys out there. I want to thank him for showing us what strength looks like, for showing us what determination looks like, for showing us what it means to live, what it means to live your life to the fullest. I want to say that I want to thank him again for just the smiles and the charisma and the energy he brought to life that he gave us in the midst of his battle. He gave us so much and he owed us a little. I'm grateful that he was able to in his short years here on earth to do so much. Chadwick, we honor you. Chadwick, we will not forget you. We thank you so much such a bright talent and definitely gone too soon and I just want to dedicate this episode to you as I strive to do even one-tenth of the work that you do for our community for us as a people for representation for all of that so just branching from this with the loss of Chadwick it has Red to my emotions so this is gonna be like a moment with k here and i just want to just check in with everybody and just be honest because we're all feeling it his loss i saw pictures where he was looking skinnier and i thought something might be wrong but i did not expect to read that headline i didn't expect to read that anytime soon my heart is is so broken and it's just so heavy just so much loss you know that we face as a community with our legends we lost Chadwick we've lost John Lewis we've lost Kobe Bryant we've lost little Richard we've just lost so many and just even every day the lives that we you know that have been lost to our community through the pandemic through COVID-19 because you know that we're disproportionately impacted like always to the lives that we have lost through police brutality you know from the lives we've lost of george floyd of brianna taylor of a tatiana jefferson even though that wasn't this year i still want to mention it i mean because it's still a relatively recent loss that's still weighing on us to the loss of while it wasn't you know police brutality it was through something that's closely linked aka white supremacy and you know we lost Ahmaud Arbery to that it's just been a heavy time for us as a people and through the racism that we endure it's been inflamed and it's just more overt and like i saw on twitter they're they're not even ashamed to do the night not so silent part anymore and that's what's incredibly dangerous that's horrific and so there's just so much going on in this world and it's been weighing on me all of this loss all of the hardship that we face as a people and it's like you know, with Chadwick, he was 43. That's that's so young. And it just really throws you because, you know, and that's why I wanted to stress with this pandemic, like, yo, like, 
nobody is invincible no matter your age like this man got diagnosed at approximately 39 years old with stage 3 colon cancer because he's been battling it for four years and you know before I went to stage four and again like you're just not invincible just take care of yourselves take all these precautions just because you're young it doesn't mean anything get screenings if you can I know sometimes insurance issues or accessibility all that but if you can do it just take care of yourself look after yourself no matter how young because things take no prisoners you know there's even Alzheimer's is starting to happen a little bit earlier and I mean just all these diseases I know I spoke previously like colon cancer is rising you know in black people is is getting us fast you know and other communities of color so just it's just hard it's like you just don't know nobody knows the day nor the hour right and you know that's that's a lot it right now people are having to face immortality just the unknown of what's going on inside of your body and that's heavy that's a lot for anyone you know on top of all the stuff that we deal with every day and it's just it's just all been weighing on me and I don't know how to put this in a poetically beautiful segment of the show but just to summarize how I'm feeling I'm hurt I'm devastated by the loss of Chadwick even though I didn't know him I I am hurt that a life could be cut so short right when someone you know is right at the cusp when they're finally getting their glory and just like just the fragility of life how things can just change from one moment to the next how one moment everything can be okay and the next it can't that's hard to grapple with it's 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 hard it's traumatic um it's traumatic dealing with all the loss again just tied to our community it's it's all a lot and I just want everybody to look out for themselves like and I mean like let's talk about mental health because this is like this is just trying and I mentioned time and time again I'm gonna forever mention it the insight timer app y'all use it. it has great meditation on there guided talks things of that nature it's something that's free on your phone that you can download to help with your mental health during these times and take breaks from social media like it can be a lot like there's power in community and you know even in communal grieving but sometimes it can also be too much so just know when to step away and just watch what you're digesting your information diet don't take in too much negativity and make sure that you're you know I'm all about balance this is the balanced life I'm a Libra but you need to overbalance or rather you need to take in way more good than you are negative so just find ways of doing that and I think just on top of all those struggles that I've just mentioned, just the struggles of everyday life, just as a woman, as a, a caring and loving person, just trying to figure out when I'm doing too much for another person, when I'm giving too much and things aren't given back equally, just trying to figure out when to try harder with things, when to give up. I mean, I think just if I just had to summarize everything, it's just really coming of age and dealing with all of the nuances of life you know and like there's that phrase mama didn't tell me that every day is like this or she told me days would be like this whatever I don't know but I don't think I think when you get older you know I'm 26 I'll be 27 next month and you're just really faced with so much that you didn't think about when you were 22 or you didn't think about when you were 18 or you didn't think about when you were 11 or 10 or whatever and it's just a lot I mean you're just more open to the world and what is and you see what reality is and then you're also having a faith you know face and come to terms with so much and I'm sorry I really want this to be a cohesive segment but how can this be a cohesive segment when life itself is messy when my emotions are messy when I'm losing my track of my thought here because I'm just so emotional you know but in the end, just the end goal of this moment, like a part of my show, of course, I have so many goals with my show. I want to uplift creatives. I want to highlight social issues. But with this show, I also want you to feel connected. I want you to feel heard. I want you to feel seen. So the goal of this segment here was to one, honor Chadwick Boseman, but it was to also just let you know you're not alone in all these complex, messy feelings that can't be summarized in a neat, clean segment, you know? that cannot be expressed 
in conceivable concise words and sentences right now like life is messy feelings are messy it's heavy you know but I just want to know that you're seeing that I hear you that I am you that I'm struggling so many ways with all the losses to our community again you know from the various ways from losing legends to losing you know people through the pandemic to the attacks on our culture through white supremacy to you know fragility and coming to terms with life and just wondering like you know we all have our beliefs and you know but it's like you nobody knows until you're there you know and just accepting that and just thinking like so what if there isn't like what if our beliefs are wrong and what if there isn't an afterlife and literally when you die like that's just it like and then i go into this whole cycle where i'm like what is it just like going to sleep forever if it's that case and it's just like you're just dreaming forever is it really just finite like boom you're just done and just that's crazy because right now you're just you're here and you're being and just you know it's just a craziness of so much that's unknown with life and just grappling with all of that it's hard and I just get I just want people to feel seen I want people to feel heard like I, I don't have it all together and I know the society places so much value in having it all together but that's why half the time I try not to edit out any mistakes in this episode that's why I'm sitting here vulnerable and raw and just speaking from my mind and my heart in this very moment. And it's not, you know, nice, clean bullet points. It's just wherever I'm going with my spirit leads me. And I just want y'all to feel that just to not feel alone again. Just know that there's someone who is just like you, you know, who's struggling, you know, in matters of love in matters of friendship, you know, feeling lonely in both senses romantic and platonic not having that same friend circle that you grow with losing your like childhood you know high school best friends and then trying to rebuild and make friendship friendships and friends as an adult that's hard and just trying to figure out what love looks like to me what a a perfect partner looks like to me even though perfection is mythical trying to figure out what healthy love healthy relationships look like what way i should go you know should i think long term or should i live in the moment enjoy like just trying to figure it all out and man it's hard it's hard so i just want to thank you for listening to this episode for tuning in again um share with your friends retweet promo i appreciate it all thank y'all and i just hope that everyone finds a little bit of peace in their day today in their morning and just so on and so forth i love you all be safe be well take care of yourselves thank you chadwick we honor you and i will see y'all next week